Take out your Bible software program, or you even go on one of those internet Bible searches, and you type in the word baptism, and it's amazing how many times the word baptism appears. But what's even more amazing is what is going on with that baptism, that the forgiveness of sins is actually attached to baptism. That's the discussion of our uh, of our show this evening. Welcome to Table Scraps Live. I'm your host, Evan Gigline, and our host for this edition is Pastor Eric Brown. He's a pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma. Pastor Brown, thanks for joining us for Table Scraps Live. Oh, uh, very glad and honored to be here tonight. Well, you can join our conversation by calling us toll-free at 1-866-851-5523 or seeing us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. That's 866-851-5523. 5523 or email questions at tabletalkradio.org. Pastor Brown, the first question I have for you on baptism is where do we get this institution of baptism? Well, when we think about baptism, the the important thing is to realize that it is something that is commanded to us, something that is given to us by our Lord Christ Jesus. Um, the, the famous passage that deals with this is in the last chapter of Matthew where our Lord says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly where our Lord gives us this command, this instruction. Uh, One of the things we have to remember about baptism is that it's not just something that we come up with. It's not something just that some churchman off somewhere said, oh, yes, this will be a fine way to, to grow the church. But rather it is something that our Lord gave to us. In fact, it really is something that our Lord does to us. And that that's the key thing. It comes from Jesus. Okay. And why then did our Lord Jesus institute this thing called baptism? Well, oh, yeah, just don't ask me why Jesus did. <laughs> now, well, for what purpose? For what purpose? Okay, that, that, that's better. Uh, there is a, a beauty to baptism. Baptism brings with it the forgiveness of sins. That's the, the obvious thing. The the forgiveness of sins, it is a washing of regeneration. It gives the assurance of salvation. We hear in St. Mark, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. There's that, that concrete reality. Um, one of the beautiful things about the sacraments in general is that they take the word and attach it to something concrete and physical. Um, we 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 are we're familiar with the idea of being saved by the word that God's word is living and active that it brings with it power. But when our Lord made us, He didn't make us with just one sense. We were more than just a giant pair of ears floating around, but rather He gave us multiple senses and a, a whole breadth of of physical body, a physical form. And what happens with with us any sacrament, but in baptism in particular, you have. God taking something physical, like water, and attaching his word to it. So that way, our physical bodies receive something physical that has God's word attached to it. So so really, it's God's word coming to us in the way that we are, in something physical. And so I, I think the, the one of the beauties of baptism is that it takes God's word and puts it in a tangible way. It, it's something more solid than just hearing, more... Well, it involves other senses, involves touch, involves sight, rather than just hearing. Someone might be listening and, and, and hearing you talk about uh, this forgiveness that is attached to baptism. Uh, and then they say, wait a minute, we, we aren't saved by, by works, we're saved by grace alone. Uh, how do you respond to someone who says that you can't be saved by the work of baptism? Well, the, the question then becomes, well, whose work do you think it is? The idea, we should never think about baptism, that that it is something that we do. Um, 
well, we'll even have this language today where someone says, "Well, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get baptized." It's this active idea, but really in Scripture, when you talk about it, you you see people being baptized, where they receive baptism, where it's something that is done to them, and that's always how God works. He gives stuff to us. His grace is applied to us. His forgiveness is applied to us. It's given. It is a gift. And that's what baptism is. It's just one of the ways in which God's forgiveness, his his gift, his love, is applied to us. So that that would be the uh, there. Oh, good. Uh, you can call us with your questions about baptism. We are bro- we are broadcasting to you live uh, this Sunday evening, uh, February the twenty first, and you can call us at our toll free number. That's eight six six eight five one five five two three. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. We're talking with Pastor Eric Brown. He's the pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma. And uh, he is willing to answer any and every question you have <laughs> about baptism. <laughs> uh, let, let's talk then about who should be baptized. You know, there, there are many uh, who would uh, oppose this idea that, you know, infants can be baptized. Uh, make the case, then, why should one baptize infants? Well, again, it becomes, you have to understand, you have to understand that baptism is not something you do for God. It's something God does for you. This is one of the things that we get switched around quite often in the church, where where we want to live our lives showing what we do for God. But the main point of what goes on in church is God's gift to us. It is a free gift. Well, if, if salvation is a gift, the things of salvation are going to be things that God gives to us. And with that, we need to ask the question of who needs God's gift of salvation? And really, St. Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if someone is included in that all, and by definition they're included in that all, that means that they can have a, a benefit. They can receive a benefit from baptism. So the the question I would ask is, is well, normally the uh, objection would be with infant baptism. Well, does a child have sin? Well, you'll get some people say, oh no, children are innocent. Well, St. Paul says the wages of sin is death. Do children die? Well, if they die, that means they have sin. They they have this inherited sin that comes part and parcel with being children of Adam. And so as such, they need salvation as well. And this is one of the methods, one of the means in which God applies this wonderful gift of salvation and forgiveness to people. It seems like uh, if one disagrees about baptism, in other words, uh, whose role is, is, is mainly at work in baptism, then one's view of original sin is, is maybe wrong. Uh, talk about that if you would. Ooh, that's a good question or a good good direction, I guess. One of the things that that generally is part of baptism is it is you can think of it almost as introductory. It is the the beginning, the initiation. We have one baptism. We are baptized into Christ, and that is the beginning of our life in Christ. And if you have a direction where you're the one who is active, where you're the one who's doing the baptism, you're you're saying that the 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 emphasis, the the thrust of your relationship, de facto ends up beginning and hinging upon you, rather than upon Christ. But if you actually look at how the scriptures speak to sin, that's not something we're capable of unless God acts first. And so I think a lot of times if we, we take the, the credit for what, or oh, that, that's kind of stealing my, my own position or playing it too strong. If we, if we claim uh, that it is our action at work, we end up shifting focus away from the action of God. And I don't think that's a very safe place to stand given what Scripture says about me and my actions and my works. So Sure. Now, it seems that there's... Uh, Differing views about how one should be baptized um, in the in the Lutheran Church. I think you most commonly see that uh, you ha- you have a baptismal font, uh, maybe uh, pro- probably in the front or maybe in the back, uh, but it, it usually consists of a little dish of water. 
and and when infants or whoever is baptized, uh, their head is over this little dish of water, and and water is poured upon the person's head, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet there are many who would say that that would not be a valid baptism. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What what do you say about this mode of baptism as how one should be baptized? The main debate ends up being between um, whether sprinkling, which is the one term for just little bits of water, or full immersion is what makes things acceptable. And there are some who say you need to have full immersion. That's what the word baptism means. Well, actually, it's not. To baptize means to to clean. Uh, The word baptizo in Greek means I baptize. And it simply means to clean. You could baptize your table in Greek. And if you're going to clean your table, you're not going to go take it down to the stream and, and you're, you're going to wash it off. It, it it refers more to a cleansing. Now, there there is some historical uh, weight towards immersion being a preferred style. In fact, Luther himself said I, that he, he loved the idea of doing full immersion because it does tie in with the imagery of baptism, that we have been buried with Christ and that we arise to newness with him. But that's not what makes baptism a baptism. Baptism isn't about just the imagery. It's really about what we get, the reality of what goes on there. Um, In the early church, there was a writing called the Didache, which was a, a very early document, first, early, second century. And they talk about what the preference for baptism is. And for them at that time, the big question was, do you need to be in a river or is standing water okay? And the preference was to be in a a river, in living water. But if you have to use standing water, that's perfectly fine. Just get the baptism done because the important thing is water and the word. And the, the other niceties are niceties. But the important thing is God's word attached to water. You are listening to Table Scraps Live. You can call us with your comments or questions at 866-851-5523 or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Let's go to the phones. We have Doug in Greensville, South Carolina. Doug, what is your question? Hey, guys. My question is, I know in the large catechism that Martin Luther said a person had to be baptized in order to be saved. And I was just wondering if you could elaborate on that as far as uh, Lutheran theology is concerned. And uh, I'll hang up now and listen to your answer. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Doug. Okay, so what uh, what do Lutherans believe about one must be baptized in order to be saved? This um, is one that's very hard for us today as modern English speakers because we don't think in terms of of classical Latin and, and classical logic. Classically speaking, in, in Latin, you can say that baptism is necessary. It, it's, it's one of the things that follow. And if you were to fundamentally deny baptism, to say, nope, I, I don't want it, to, to refuse it, refuse it, that would be something that would identify you as being outside of Christendom. So in that sense, it is necessary. If you, if you are to be a Christian, you're going to go and be baptized. If you think, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to get baptized, that means there's something catastrophically wrong uh when P- uh, peter when uh when philip talks to the ethiopian eunuch when the eunuch comes to believe and understand he asks for baptism that's the normal normal move so in that sense it is a necessary consequence it's a necessary step now are there going to be people in heaven who've not yet been baptized yes if if something hinders that that normal flow uh prime example that people end up bringing up is the thief on the cross who most likely wasn't baptized well he's up on a cross so it's going to be very hard to to baptize him there and jesus is in no position being crucified himself to say all right no go go find water and baptize this guy but the assumption is that if something happened where he wasn't being crucified right at that moment you'd have the baptism follow so the idea there with baptism being necessary is that it, it really is uh, an integral part of the christian faith it's something that should be Normal. I think that might be a, a better way to think of it to modern years. That that it should be part and parcel of of what's expected. What what should be part of your identity? So I, I think Evan, do you think that kind of? No, gets I, I think you it? answered it beautifully. I mean, uh, the, beautifully. The the, the, yeah. <laughs> um, the the sacraments are given to us for the assurance of our forgiveness of sins, and and should uh, should one 
unfortunately die before he has the opportunity to be baptized. Uh, God has not restricted salvation apart from uh, from from baptism in that sense. But like you said, it, that's that's a far cry different from someone who rejects baptism and says, I don't need baptism to be saved. Well, this is the way the Lord wants to bestow the forgiveness of sins. If you're rejecting the way he forget, forgives sins, uh, then then I would question if if we have if we're dealing with a, a faith issue, right? It, it becomes that that where you're so outside the the normal operating that do you even want to be where things are supposed to be? So yeah, if if Christ has given us something and you say, well, no, I don't want that, how, how much of a, a one in Christ, a Christian, do you are, are you really? There's a strong disconnect between what you say and what you you actually believe and do. Absolutely. I do want to go back, but before we got the the call from Doug, uh, by the way, you can call us with your questions at 866-851-5523 or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. But before that, we were talking about this issue of, of immersion or sprinkling. And many will then go to the baptism of our Lord. And here in, in, in Matthew chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized baptized by him. But John tried to prevent, it, prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it at this time, for it is, for it is this way fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And this is, this is the verse that, uh, that, that would refer at the onset of what we're talking about. Uh, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and uh, lightning on him. uh, And lighting on him. So, uh, here it says Jesus came up out of the water. Does that not then speak to that Jesus himself was immersed in the Jordan River? Well, there's only one problem with that. The Jordan River is very, very shallow. Um, it, it, it ranges basically between knee and, and waist depth. And so basically you, you'd go into the river, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you'd be diving in underneath. But rather the, the normal method generally looked to be the you'd go in, you'd, you'd lower your head, and then the water would be poured upon you. And again, that, that was just part of the, the idea of ritual cleansing. There, there were many ideas of, of ritual baptism beforehand, um, ritual washings. And so it wasn't that there there would be a, a strange idea with just suddenly total immersion. But no, they were Jewish folks were used to this idea of, of having water poured on something to clean it. So I, I think if you look at that and, and say, oh, well, obviously, as he went in, he must be coming all the way out. Well... I think you're reading a little much into that. That's more than what the Greek gives. So it very well could be when Jesus came up uh, from the water, it was that he was standing ankle deep in the water and came up out of it. Yeah, like when uh, if with the way the Greek language works, when the the Israelites are crossing the the Red Sea on dry land, they come up out of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's just it's more a, a matter of location rather than depth. Okay, sure. Okay, great. Um, now, you mentioned earlier the thief on the cross. I want to deal with this question about how adults come to be baptized. Because when we baptize infants, it seems that we drag them kicking and screaming <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be baptized in the church. Um, but yet, uh, many people say, you know, you wouldn't just take uh, someone who's an adult against their will and baptize uh, them. So how is it then that we move from this process from uh, maybe a, an a, adult unbeliever to the process of then being baptized. Explain how that works. It's the fourth commandment issue, actually. Uh, it really does deal with the idea of, of authority. When you're a child, you're under your parents' authority. Parents have the right to drag their children kicking and screaming to a lot of places. And there, there is that, that sense of authority, that, that if you are in someone's household— the person who's in charge of the household has responsibility for it. This makes sense. I mean, uh, a 12-year-old, a 5-year-old can't sign a contract, but the oh, the little baby on the TV commercials, his parents said, yes, yes, put him in these commercials and pay us lots of money. <laughs> they were able to do the contract, mm. and he might be kicking and screaming doing that. So it, it falls under that sense of, of parental authority, that, that as a parent, you are responsible for your child and can do binding actions upon him. 
And one of the things that comes up with baptism, it might be good almost to think of it in terms of a nationality. A parent who is from overseas has every right to move their child to another country and take that child and say, you were a German, now you're an American. Baptism really does do a lot of, you can almost talk about changing our citizenship, where we were of the kingdom of Satan and have been moved to the kingdom of God. And that's something that would be well within a, a parent's right. Now, again, oh, this works even better than I thought it would. Think about for a, a, an adult becoming a citizen. Generally, they're going to make them say go through uh, some instruction course. Go, All right, you're going to need to know certain things, all the, the tests and stuff that they make you go through. But with the kids, they don't because the assumption is now that they're here, now that they're part of this community, they will be raised knowing this stuff. They will be raised within, within the U.S. And so they'll learn who George Washington was. We don't have to make sure they know it before we stay there. Likewise, with baptism, there is the idea that one who is baptized is going to be raised in the faith. That's why we have that tradition of sponsors, of godparents who teach them. That's why we have the idea of confirmation later on, where the, the one who is baptized as a child will him or herself say later on all the things that were promised for them at baptism. What about uh, some of the churches that will say that there's a baptism of water, which uh, is really your profession of faith, which, which we've talked about a little bit, uh, namely who is working in baptism. But then they'll say there's, there's the real baptism, the, the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit. And that's at, at another time, another special experience. Uh, what do we say to, to, to someone who might claim that there's actually two baptisms, a baptism of water and a baptism of spirit? Well, again, that, that plays off of John, where, where he speaks saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with, with fire and the spirit. Oh, I, uh, the fathers messed up on their quotations, not perfectly all the time, too. I can do that, too. That's one of the things I love about reading the church fathers. They'll say, oh, St. Paul says somewhere. It makes me feel much more confident. Yeah, but, I like that, too. <laughs> but what I what I point out and what happens with, with that type of language is that they end up breaking apart God's word and the spirit. And this is one of the things that that we see in Scripture the Word of God and the Holy Spirit always work hand in hand. Whenever you have the Word of God at work, the Holy Spirit is there, and wherever the, the Holy Spirit is at work, the Word of God is there. And so when you have the Word of God at baptism, the Holy Spirit is going to be there. We see that from the beginning of Genesis. When you have the Word of God present at creation, you have the Spirit present, present at creation. The two go hand in hand. In fact, oh, one of the fathers referred to uh, the Son and the Spirit as the hands of God. Mm-hmm. That, that they're, the, they're the, the two hands by which he does all the stuff that he wants to do. And then as such, they always work together. Your, your own two hands work in concert. They don't just your left hand doesn't suddenly disappear so your right hand can do something out of the blue. And so I think we shouldn't look for times where the Holy Spirit's suddenly going to be active apart from the Word, but rather when we know the Word, when we, when we hear the Word, when we have that, that thing that we can cling, on, cling to in the Word, we know that the Holy Spirit is going to be active there. And so if someone were to ask me that, I'd probably try and move along that way and, and, and figure out where they're coming from not necessarily to to deny any any wonderful experience that they have that wouldn't be i don't want to go poke holes in people but just to to see how they're thinking about how god's word and how god's spirit works because god doesn't want us to have to flail around and and try and figure out where things happen he wants us to know where he is god wants us to know where he's going to work for us which is one of the wonderful things about god you are listening to table scraps live on uh, Pirate Christian Radio. We are talking with Pastor Eric Brown of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma, about baptism. What questions do you have about baptism? You can give us a call during this break, 866-851-5523, or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. After this break, we'll continue with our discussion on baptism right after this.
listening to Table Scraps Live on Pirate Christian Radio. Hello, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, co-host of Table Talk Radio. You know, one of the marvelous things about the gospel of our Lord Jesus is that there is always more, always more grace, always more mercy, always more forgiveness, always more love, more than we could ask for, says Paul, or even imagine. Well, the same thing is true on a smaller scale of Table Talk Radio. There's more. There's more podcasts, there's more radio shows, there's more articles to read, all at www.tabletalkradio.org. Martin Luther says that the most common idol in all of the world is the idol of money, that we trust in it, that we fear losing it, that we think that because we have it, we're secure. Here at Table Talk Radio, we have the solution for this idolatry. Click the Donate Now button on our website, and you will support the ongoing efforts of Table Talk Radio to spread this word of God. Table Talk Radio is listener-supported. If you would like to help with the financial needs of Table Talk Radio, just click the Donate button on our website tabletalkradio.org Have you always wanted to say the other day when I was listening to Table Talk Radio well now you can and if you want to keep saying that you can find our podcast archive on our website www.tabletalkradio.org everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show www.tabletalkradio.org Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Evan Gigline. It is my pleasure to present to you this production of Table Talk Radio, Table Scraps Live. We would like to hear your feedback on this broadcast. Just send me an email, evan at tabletalkradio.org. Also, this broadcast incurs a few extra charges, so if you would, consider making a donation to Table Talk Radio on our website, tabletalkradio.org. But thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio and Table Scraps Live. Welcome back to Table Scraps Live, a production of Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline here with Pastor Eric Brown of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma. We are talking tonight about baptism. We are coming to you live this Sunday night, February the 21st, and taking your calls uh, at 866-851-5523. And your email, our email address is questions at tabletalkradio.org. No matter what uh, you think about baptism, we want to uh, answer your comments or questions. Uh, even if you have a, a particular verse about baptism you weren't really sure about, uh, we would be happy to uh, respond uh, to that. Um, that's 866-851-5523 or questions at tabletalkradio.org. Uh, Pastor Brown, uh, before the break, we were talking about um, uh, baptism, obviously, but w- we were talking about uh how how the the word is not separated from the spirit. So in other words, that that you can't have um, uh, the spirit working apart from the word, as as some who like to divide a water baptism and a spirit baptism. Uh, now then, talk about what baptism actually does. You know, if if the spirit is actually involved in baptism because of that word, it's actually doing something. It's actually. A real thing. It's reality. So what is baptism really doing? Well, baptism, we, we, we like to talk very often about the washing away of sin, but it does go beyond that. When Scripture speaks to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit takes up residency. That's where the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. Uh, baptism unites us to Christ. Listen to, uh, to what St. Paul writes in Romans. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Again, you have that idea of of being united to Christ. When we are baptized, it is a matter of our reality, our identity, who we are. We are Christians. We are ones who are in Christ. We are little Christ. But there is that, that firm connection. We should never think of baptism as just a, a one-time event of the past, just a, oh, I was baptized, but rather it defines who we are. I am baptized, and because I'm one who is baptized, 
I know that I'm united to Christ. I know that I, my body is the temple of the Spirit. I know that I have been united to Christ's death, that my sins have been atoned for, and that just as assuredly as Christ himself has been raised, so too I will be raised because he is my head. I am part of his body, and where the head goes, the body follows. I've heard it said sometimes a bit like uh, being married. Uh, when someone asks you, are you married? You don't say, uh, yes, I was, referring to the <laughs> wedding ceremony. Uh, for saying that would make it sound like the, the, the marriage is actually ended. Uh, but in the same way, we refer to our baptism as something that we are. I am baptized. You don't, you don't say, I was baptized. I am baptized. I am married. Or, or going back even to the, that whole normal thing, if, if you're the, the vicar, you'll never be married. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. That, that. But no, you, you make a, a very good point. Uh, if someone asks you if you're married, they're not asking, well, how was the ceremony? They want to know, do, do you have a, a spouse? And, and that really is that, that – it is that matter of identity. I, I am married. The fact that Celia Brown, who hopefully is listening, is my wife – that is part and parcel of my identity. If someone says, I know Eric Brown, and, uh, oh, yeah, really? Have you met his wife, Celia? Oh, well, the Eric I know doesn't have a wife. Well, obviously, you're talking about two different people. She is fundamentally part of my identity. In fact, oh, that, that works really well. You might want to go look up Ephesians 5 for us. Mm -hmm. Because when, when Christ talks about, oh, he's got this wonderful computer with this awesome <laughs> big screen Bible, so I'm going to have him look it up. When, when Peter, oh, Peter. When Paul talks about um, marriage, the, that famous section in Ephesians, his description of how the husband should view his wife ties in to baptism. Do you want to read that for us? Uh, sure. Um, just start with 22 and following. Sure. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present, him, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless. Again, do you see how you have that, that language of baptism tied in right with, with the idea? Husbands are to love their wives as Christ of the church. How did he love the church? He died for her, and he saved her, and he washes her with, the, the, with baptism to make her clean and without any spots. He, he makes her presentable for himself, and that's really what baptism is. It changes our identity. We were once... Oh, I was gonna. I, I I can't be too rude. We were once gutter trash. Now we are the spotless bride, and that's that that change of identity, and, and that's the 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 beauty of baptism. It, it really does have that that identifying. It, it describes who we are. In fact, that's uh, if you um, see someone make the sign of the cross, that's a sign of identity. That that's something that is part of the traditional Western baptismal rite. Receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one sanctified or redeemed by Christ the crucified. And that's that matter of identity, again, of, of who I am. That's great. Well, let's go to the phone lines where people can call in at 866-851-5523 or they can send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. We're going to go to Jeff in Minnesota. Jeff, what's your comment or question? Yeah, uh, my question is uh, in regards to uh, John chapter 1, and um, where it talks about uh, uh, that uh, those that received uh, Christ uh, were born uh, not of the will of, of flesh or of the will of man. Now, I'm just, uh, what I have trouble with here is that uh, if, if baptism saves, and you have, you know, an infant baptism, and you have parents bringing a child to be baptized and thus uh, you know, bringing them to salvation, don't you have a situation where a person is being saved by the will of man? All right. Uh, let's see what Pastor Brown has to say about that, Pastor. Uh, again, fantastic questions. We've had great call-ins tonight, but that, that really is a good idea. What John is talking to there is he's really making a contrast in general between how salvation works. Uh, that 
that um, when you think about Christ incarnation, how, how he became man, he came about by the will of the Father. He doesn't come about by the the will of the flesh, just a, a bodily urge, or, or the will of man, some, oh, well, you know, maybe we should go have another kid, some logical plan, but rather God calls him into being. Likewise, same thing in baptism. My dad brought me to be baptized, but really it wasn't my earthly father who had me baptized. It was my heavenly father who was responsible for this. This is one of the things that we, we need to understand. God works through means. He works through through people. Um, th- this, this is something that, that is fairly obvious. I mean, we have how many people preaching. That's God working through them. And so just if I were to, to, to preach and someone were to believe, I would not say, ah, yes, my word is powerful. They believe because I uh, talk so well. Or I talk so good, that would make it sound even better. <laughs> but rather we would say it is God's word at work and present in what is going on that brings all this about. So even with, with a child, that's not necessarily a a, uh, a result of being of the will of man. And certainly that idea of will of man there also has that idea of will of fallen man. But rather God at work through using his faithful servant to bring another servant to him. So again, you get that that will of God coming up there. Oh, very good. Um, good question. Yeah, we had a lot of good questions. You can, If you have a question, you can call us at 866-851-5523 or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You know, Pastor Brown, when we've been uh, discussing uh, these passages that we've looked up, uh, we've looked up Ephesians, Romans 6, uh, and, and, and you know Matthew, it, it seems that that all of these passages are talking about a, a reality that that one is now uh, uh, seen accounted as a, as, a, as a different way. So once a sinner, now it said uh, holy and white and, and, and spotless. Uh, it doesn't seem to give language of like a new start or 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 an empowerment to now do better. Ooh. Um, I, I mean, I suppose right, that there is there there right. is an aspect of, of a new a new creation. There there is that that aspect of new creation. A, a great one again is for for Titus. Uh, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Oh, again, that's another great place for talking about the the water and the Spirit. He poured out the Spirit upon us. Also, the Holy Spirit shows up any time there's water in the Old Testament. You see water. Holy Spirit's all over it. But that's beside the point. Let me go back to Titus. Uh, he saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So there is that idea. There, There is a reality that that having God in you, having Christ dwell within you does have an impact upon your life. Again, it's not just something of of the past. Now that I am married, that implies something about how my life is lived. That has an impact. Likewise, and, and we're going from the lesser to the greater here by far, when God makes his dwelling, makes you his dwelling, he does renew you. He gives you understanding. He gives you the ability to know his will, to, to understand his word, and to strive to do good, which is a, a radical change. If, if if God were not for me, if God were not with me, I would not want to do anything to please God. Why would I want to please the, the God who I do not know? Even Adam and Eve, who know God, when they fall, when, when they have eaten the fruit, they run away and don't want to have anything to do with God. Now, if Adam, who knew God directly as creator, wanted to run away, why would just me running around so far after that event want to do anything to actually please God out of a clean heart? And what you do have in here is you do have that that creation of a clean heart, uh, the giving of a right spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit to a person. So you do have that that renewal language. Uh, one other thing, just when you're asking your question, can I have you look up First John chapter three, and just at the the very beginning of it, there there is this wonderful language 
uh, see with see with see the love with which our the heavenly Father has loved us. Can you read that quote? So sure, begin, begin at the first verse. Yes. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. All right. So do you get that that contrast between the world that does not know God? But what does God do? He walks up and he calls you child. And then what happens? You are. You get that, that reality. The word of God speaks. The same word that goes out and says, let there be light. And there is light. That same word comes and says, you are now my child. And what? You are. And that's something that doesn't change. Another image that gets tied to baptism often is the, the image of adoption. And, and that really does go to that whole, uh, a child doesn't just walk up to uh, someone and say, guess what, you're adopting me today. I, I'm, I've decided to have you adopt me. <laughs> but, but rather, the parent adopts the child. And when the parent adopts the child, something changes. I mean, there there is legal change, responsibility. Once you adopt a child, you don't get to say, you don't get like the thirty day test drive and say, can can, <laughs> can we have one that's less cranky? But rather, it, it is it is a a binding of of God. In fact, uh, Saint Patrick. This is probably almost a month early, but Saint Patrick had his famous hymn that was about baptism. I bind unto unto myself today. The, the Holy Trinity, and it goes over the triune God who is active in your life by virtue of baptism. So I, I highly recommend you on, on St. Patrick's Day. Go, go sing St. Patrick's Great Hymn. <laughs> All right. You are listening to Table Scraps Live. Uh, I'm your host, Evan Gigline, here with uh, Pastor Eric Brown of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma, talking about baptism. We have about a little less than 10 minutes in the program. You can uh, call in with your uh, comments or questions, I would call in now if you're going to 866-851-5523. Our email address is questions at tabletalkradio.org. One more time, that's 866-851-5523 or questions at tabletalkradio.org. Now let's say uh, you're sitting uh, in your study there at Zion Lutheran Church out in Lahoma and uh, someone walks in and says, I uh, have been a Baptist all my life, uh, but I want to I wanna be a Lutheran. Uh, w- would you then uh, require that person to be uh, baptized again, now wanting to be a Lutheran, coming from a, a Baptist church? There is one baptism. It is our Lord's baptism. And if the person has been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, according to God's instruction, according to how Christ told us to do it, they've been baptized. Now, I might have discussions with this person talking about the significance of what that baptism is, what what it means. But just because I don't know the value of something doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. When I was uh, young, my dad gave me his old baseball cards. and I have a Carl Yastrzemski rookie card. Now, when I was, oh, okay, that's neat. It's an old baseball card. How cool. I didn't realize that I could probably sell it for $150. Now, the fact that I didn't realize its value didn't, change its value, didn't lose its value. But when I came to understand its value, then I appreciated it like I should. So that that's the idea. There, it, Again, it's a gift from God. And and this is one of the things, this isn't meant to be a, a knock on, on any denomination or anything, but, but as we grow in the faith, we always come to understand how precious these gifts that God has given us are. And I, I I would hope that that twenty years from now I I would understand even better than I do now how precious the gift baptism is. Uh, Doctor Luther uh, loved talking about baptism. He said it was the thing that that we've overlooked. We we have such an incredible comfort in baptism. One could could spend his entirety of his life studying about baptism and and not not get to the depths of it. I, let's see how was it. I'm going to try and do a quote off the top of my head, so I'm going to paraphrase it horribly. <laughs> okay. but, but he said, basically, you know, you you study how to to farm for five years, and then you're a farmer. You can farm. You, you get you get the hang of it. Or you might study law for ten, or or you might study for twenty years how to rule a nation. He goes, you could study for a hundred years and still not even scratch the surface of baptism, because it really is. It's foundational to everything. You can. Well, we, how many quotes from Scripture have we popped up? And that's just the, the direct obvious places. There are so many more places where it can tie in. Um, in fact, one of the things that's been very nice timing for me on this is we've been talking about baptism, the, the baptismal rite 
at my uh, my church in adult Sunday school. And just doing that, I'm starting to see baptism all over the place now, even more clearly. And, and that's just, it's part of the growth. Yeah. Uh, we were talking in Bible class this morning, in my Bible class, uh, we were, we're going through Galatians, and there's a there's a, the reference uh, in chapter four where uh, it says that we cry out, "Abba, Father," and uh, and and throughout, uh, yeah, I did a, just a quick search, and "Abba, Father" is only used three times, uh, yet um, it, it was solely used by Jesus. Jesus is always the one as as the Son of God to use Abba Father, but now being baptized as now sons of God, we cry out uh, by the Spirit, Abba Father. Well, and, again, that do you, do you say all that just gives such a wonderful sense of of the identity change, or or even more the restoration that 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 baptism really does undo the fall. This is one of the things that I was thinking about today, uh, first Sunday in Lent. We had a. The Old Testament was chapter 3 of Genesis, the fall, and then the temptation of Christ. And what happens after the fall? Adam gets told, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. It'll bring up thorns and thistles. So you move from the garden where Adam fell, and there was lush, and everything was watered. And then you see Jesus out in the wilderness, and there's no water in this place of death. What do you have Christ doing? You have Christ restoring us through water and the word, restoring us to what should have been our birthright, that, that, that we lost the garden, giving that back to us. Because we're united to Christ, we will live with him. And that's just a fantastic idea. The water is restored to Eden. We have a, we have a question come in. Um, would it be a sin to be rebaptized? Uh, for for people who have uh, been uh, baptized legitimately as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then to be baptized again, that that's one that I want to answer delicately. Sure. Um, I would say, if you're thinking about being rebaptized, you don't need it. I mean, if you've been baptized, I mean, there are legitimate cases where someone doesn't know whether or not they've bap- been baptized, and then you basically do a provisional baptism you you baptize them and if they have okay but with but, you know if, but, if one hasn't doesn't know if they're baptized right. baptized and that's not it, rebaptizing serving the perp you know right. we, we we the 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 christian church has never rebaptized there is one baptism and that that's the baptism that god has done and if god's done it he god doesn't need a redo god doesn't need to 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 take the shot over again um and and some of the times with with well and this comes up with one of the ideas baptism isn't just the 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 event of the past but rather it is a a daily event oh i just turned away from the catechism let me let me read how how luther puts it this is beautifully beautiful language he says what does baptizing what does such baptizing with water indicate it indicates that the old adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity. So if you were thinking that, oh man, I've been lousy, maybe I need a a, a second washing, no, you don't. Just by contrition and repentance, return to that. God has given you all the gifts in baptism. Live that out. Enjoy it. Delight in it be in it and that is is more than anything that uh an attempt of trying to to redo god's actions would do i don't know if that quite answered sure so yeah well the follow-up question is okay uh, people who were baptized by john's baptism and then were advised to be rebaptized. what was going on there well see that's where you have the John is often viewed, I know he shows up in the New Testament, but if you want to think about it, he really is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He really is the, the end of the Old Testament. And so when you have that transition, you have some strange things going on. I mean, you have people who are good, God-fearing people who, have, who may have not have heard of Christ because they were in some back corner of the empire, and are, are, are faithful Jews living out their life after the Messiah's... So you get this weird transitional period. We're not in that weird transitional period anymore. So they're, they're, you're not going to come across the Old Testament here. Or if you're in some place where you're, you're living as a, a, fellow, a fellow of the Jewish persuasion, then go 
be baptized. Um, there are there are a few people who claim to just do continue on the baptism of John. There's like five thousand of them living <laughs> in, in, in in Iraq or in the Middle East somewhere. But I, I haven't thought about what I'd do if one of them came up and wanted to become a Lutheran. I, <laughs> I, I I'd have to find out more about how they baptized. But even then, I, I if they baptize according to our Lord's institution in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. They've already been baptized. There is no rebaptizing. That was one of the things that the early church talked about. There were questions of of do you rebaptize? And the answer is you never rebaptize. They've either been baptized or they haven't been. So very good. Uh, let's take. A, a, we started with this. I want to kind of book and close with this. We with Matthew twenty eight. Uh, verses 16 through 20 read like this, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, explain this passage. What's going on? Oh, just explain the passage. Yeah. <laughs> what what you have is you really have Christ setting the stage for how the church is going to work. What we have in the, the New Testament church until the end of times, in, the, in, these, in the end days that we're in, is the idea that we are incorporated into God. We are baptized into God's name. His name is placed Upon us, we have his identity. We are called Christians. That comes slightly later, but but we we are identified with Christ, and we are baptized. We receive these gifts, and as we continue to grow, we continue to grow and understand more and more what it is to be in Christ, to have this connection. What it means. We're taught to to observe all things. Whatsoever he commanded. So we learn more and more what he has done, what he has done for us. Whenever you hear that word authority in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, it's always tied with the authority to forgive sins, to speak God's word, to understand that God has had his word spoken upon us, that he has joined us unto himself, and that as such, as he is part of us now, we too speak his word, that we too go and and not on our not on our own will speak out God's word but rather we have been made to be heirs of his heirs who has as such the right to use his riches and treasures his his word of forgiveness and life thanks for being on the program oh honored glad great fun great calls great text messages very good guys all right uh thank you uh again pastor brown for being on the radio this day uh well it is it is not our work, but rather God's work alone. For we, we do not, we're not the ones working in baptism. We're, we're not the ones who say, I'm going to be baptized because I've made this decision or that I have decided to be forgiven, but rather the other way around, that is God working to us, that he has applied his word and his name upon us, the forgiveness of sins. And as pastor said, as as just as God said, let there be light, and there was light, so he calls us his children. He calls us forgiven, and we are. Thanks for listening to Table Scraps Live. See you again next time. You've been listening to Table Scraps Live on Pirate Christian Radio, a production of Table Talk Radio. For more information, visit our website, tabletalkradio.org.